The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you. Great to have you here this Saturday morning. And uh, thrilled, as always, to be joined by Dan Trelaro. Danny, of course, is with New Jersey's Council on Compulsive Gambling, better known to you as 800-GAMBLER. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Good. I'm really happy to have uh, Tara joining us this morning. Tara's out in uh, Minnesota, the, the Great Lakes. Well, not the Great Lakes, Tara, but the land of a thousand lakes, I think is what it is. Anyhow, Tara, <laughs> is it 10,000 lakes now? <laughs> Sheesh. Yeah. I, I, I like to count all those lakes, but all right. Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be a part of the show and uh, spreading a little hope and hope of healing. Sure. So I guess the first question is, how long have you gone without gambling, and uh, how long have you been in quote-unquote recovery? Um, so July 30th is my five-year anniversary uh, without placing a bet on anything but myself. Well, five years, so congratulations. That's a great accomplishment. You should be very proud of yourself, and I'm sure you are. Um Let's go back to how it started. Uh, when you look back on life now with the clarity that I know you have, when did you start gambling and then how soon after your start do you think it became problematic? So I began kind of sitting down next to gambling at a really, really young age. Uh, my grandfather played uh, bucket point cribbage. He played poker with his war buddies. He played blackjack uh, for fun. So at a really, really young age, I was introduced to card games, $4 or chips or (laughs) M&Ms. And so I was exposed to kind of the skill of the game, if you will, and how to play at a really, really young age. Uh, And around, you know, numbers and, you know, football bets and kind of it was just it was just part of my grandfather's actions and we were pretty tight so Um, so for you it was normal as a kid and as a young young lady to to be exposed to stuff that most girls your age probably weren't um but it gave you kind of i would think you know kind of a a hip card to play uh, with the guys and as you grew up being the cool girl that knew how to play cards and understood it was probably something that set you apart a little bit, yeah? Yes, absolutely. I would say, you know, being able to sit around a poker table uh, and hold my own uh, was kind of a sense of pride, if you will. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, Dan, it's, again, a similar story, right? You're exposed to it. It's, it's, not, it's organic. It's innocent. No one means anything by it. But it sets the tone for something to come later in life. Yeah, you know, Tara, congratulations. I mean, five years was a, I guess, you know, on July 30th, which is a day away. And, you know, it, it highlights that age of onset, spending time with a close family member. You know, they always talk about the big win at an early age. And for you, it could, whether it was M&Ms or money may not have mattered, but you're spending time with your grandfather. And, you know, as you mentioned, you guys were tight. You were close. And that's just a big win. You know, you only see the positives of gambling. Like, this is a fun experience. This is a way that I can pass time with, with someone that I care about, I love. We, we just have a great time. So it's normal. You know, why? 
when other people aren't doing it, you're almost like, well, why aren't they doing it? This is fun. This is what almost everyone should be doing. Why wouldn't you? So you don't see the harm in it. You're right, Craig. How old were you when you think it became a problem? Hmm. So this is a, I've kind of had this on again, off again relationship with gambling throughout my life. Um, it became a problem. You know, I can even say the first time I went to a casino or maybe the second time, you know, the first handful of times when I was legally eligible to be placing bets. And I, I did for fun between my 18th and 21st birthday. Even then it was like, Oh, there might be a way to, to make more doing this, you know, and what if I bet higher and like doing experimentation with the slot machines with, with a friend and like buying a, a book about slot machines. And that was, that was really young. But it wasn't like something I did regularly and continuously. Um, my gambling got out of control when, uh, it was for a period in my 20s, uh, when my mom got sick. Uh, my mom had cancer. And uh, going to the casino and doing other really self-destructive behaviors at the same time um, was a, a thing I thought I was doing for fun, but I know that I was doing it in a self-destructive way because even then I was pulling money out of the itty-bitty 401k that I had to take a loan to cover uh, what I spent gambling. Um, and then I would, you know, kind of realize, like, oh, this isn't good and I should slow down, but... There was a period there um, after my mom was sick and, and died where when I would get a break, I was a single mom working full-time, going to school full-time, and my mom just died. And so that was a, a great escape, if you will, on the weekends when I wasn't responsible for homework, work, or my son. It was often the thing I would choose as the pastime. You, you know, you know what catches me stuff. about that? Uh, there's so much commonality uh, with a lot of us. Number one, you know, we recognize now it was an escape from something, you know, whether it was childhood stuff or your know, marriage problems or the, you know, a sickness, a death, that type of stuff. But the other thing that, that gets me on, on the start of your story here, Tara, is that you were around gambling long enough to know better, to know the signs, to see guys that were easy marks because they, you know, kept gambling no matter what. And yet you went down the road anyway. And I, I, I find some uh, commonality in that where I knew better. You know, I owned a casino. I was around cards and sports and horses since I was a kid, and yet I still made the bad decisions knowing that they were bad. And I find, uh, you know, a lot of similarity in your story in that regard. I don't know that I had put together the pattern of like at a poker table, right? Like that person's always chasing the pot. I don't think I put that together um, in my youth, but I started to put it together in my 20s when I was gambling, and I kind of gambled all sorts of different ways. But, um, but I, I don't think I realized, like, that I was becoming that person. Right. <laughs> and I don't think I was even conscious of it at all, um, or, or that I thought, poorly like I, I don't think I had a judgment that that person was a gambler or that they had a problem I just thought they were not good at poker <laughs> got it I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying so as you go through all this and now you're gambling in your free time and when you know your son's not with you and you have a break from school etc get describe to the audience how bad it got whether either with frequency with uh you know financially with uh time spent there can you walk us through that 
Yeah, so that was kind of first. That was kind of first iteration of the challenge with gambling, and there was some other stuff going on too. I was using drugs, I was drinking. It was kind of like any time I wasn't needing to be quote unquote responsible, I was just cutting loose in all sorts of <laughs> not so great ways. Um, and I I stopped uh, and got you know pretty focused on career and and myself and parenting and and all that. Um, just by realizing, like, I was creating this harm. So I think the first time I, t- I took out a 401k loan and was like, this is a problem, what the hell am I doing, right? And I just kind of stopped, and I got involved with all sorts of other things, not really conscious of there being an addiction there, and I quit um, using drugs. And that was a conversation with a friend who was like, what the hell are you doing? You're the, you know, you're in college, and you're going to be the one who makes it, and you've got to finish, and what are you doing? And I was like, oh, she's right, and I need to knock this off, and I did. Um, no healing, no therapy, no work on myself, you know, just, just stopped. And then, um, as life happens, you know, I, I had more, um, things happen and I would have this on again, off again relationship with gambling. I, I stayed stopped with the other damaging stuff, still socially drinking, maybe getting drunk every now and again, didn't consider myself an alcoholic, uh, stopped drug use. And, um, my, my grandma died in, uh, 20, in uh, 2010, and then my father died in 2011. Um, and I, I don't know when, right? Like, I, it just kind of went from being this thing that I did when I didn't want to be at the bar with all the people who were getting drunk at the bar and thinking somehow me going to the casino was better than that. And it just kind of progressively, as this disease does, as addiction does, got worse and worse and worse. Uh, in the course of that six years. And there was something about being in the casino, a place where I had, you know, spent time with my grandma, um, where I kind of felt like I was communing with her uh, in an odd way. Like I would sit down at her favorite slot machine and play that game. Or when I was playing blackjack, I'd be thinking of my grandpa who passed away when I was like 15. So um, there's a lot of grief and a lot of loss there that I just never coped with. Uh, until I until I got into to therapy and recovery. It was there a singular moment, uh, bottom of the barrel moment, a night, a day, oh, yeah. a weekend that you you don't mind sharing? I, yeah, I don't mind sharing at all. Um, my my last day was the the last day I placed a bet. Um, I spent my whole paycheck, and I I earned a fair living, a pretty fair living, uh, you know, above above average, um, and I had accumulated all this debt, and I'd been borrowing from people and, um, you know, tell it hiding and being secretive. I wasn't accountable to anyone else for my money, so really nobody knew what was going on. I'd cashed out my 401k yet again, and the only thing I really had left was uh, was my house. Um Thankfully, um, you know, I lost my whole paycheck that day. And I had this moment when I was leaving the casino where, you know, I lost my whole paycheck and then I had, I like waited until whatever hour it was that the $5 is going to get credited on my account. And I sat there with that stupid player card and my $5 and playing, I laugh at it right now, like how desperate I was to, to just win anything at that point a nickel at a time in the hope that I would get something from that keynote machine playing one nickel at a time. And I 
um, I, I didn't. And I, I cashed out when I had $2 left because my gas tank was empty in the parking lot. And as that happened, I remembered a few years earlier encountering a woman who was leaving the casino and told me she spent her whole paycheck. She'd missed the bus to get home because the casino, of course, has a bus to bring people to it. She had missed it. And she had no way to get home and she had to get to work. And that was me that day. And I remember telling myself when I encountered her, like, oh, my gosh, she's got a problem. Who would ever do that? Hmm. And there I was, her. And um, leaving the casino, thinking about there's this pond across the street, maybe it's a lake, I don't know, a body of water <laughs> across the street. And I truly thought about flooring it and um, landing landing in that water. And I had had that thought multiple times. And I just, you know, I want to live. I don't want to die. I have a son. Um, my biological father committed suicide when I was three, and I never got the opportunity to know him. And it really scared the scared the crap out of me. We'll continue on with Terry here in a moment. Uh, the story does get better, and you'll hear that part of the story right after this on The Fan. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you as always, Dan Trelaro, 800-GAMBLER. And from uh, Minneapolis today is uh, Tara C., who's joining us, telling the story. So uh, you didn't take your life, which is obviously a, a good thing. You didn't drive your car into a lake. And you made a decision right then and there, all right, I got to do something about it. What was the first day of your looking to get help like for you? So first I slept. <laughs> mm. I, uh, I, I shouldn't laugh, but that was kind of an all, you know, it was kind of an all-nighter. And I, I had no... Yeah, you know, I had no, no energy. Um, and then I picked up the phone and I called my big brother and I told him that I had a problem and that I needed help. And he met me with love and support and encouragement and asked me what the plan was. Um, I have a lot of friends who have recovered from other addictive patterns using a 12-step program of recovery, so that's the plan I made. And I called my big sister with the my little sister. I called her a big sister because maybe in that moment she felt like a big sis. Um, I called her and, and told her the plan, and I asked her if she would um, oversee my bank account uh, while I was working to not uh, act out in addiction. And she said yes. So I kind of had a plan for somebody to be accountable to financially, and then. Um, and then I went to meetings every day of that first week, and I found a home meeting almost right away. Um, and that, I believe, saved my life and started my path to recovery. Dan, let's speak to that a little bit. Uh, you know, you know, Tara's very lucky. She had someone to call who uh, got it right away and was willing to, uh, you know, look after her finances and, uh, you know, start, you know, being responsible, uh, which is a very, very tough first step. For people out there that are hearing the story, who may not have a relative like that, are there resources for someone who says, look, I can't be trusted with my money. I need somebody to help me out. Yeah, there are. And, you know, Tara, thank you so much for sharing because you, you, just, you said so many things that are just so important along that process. You know, like you just said you, you, you gain the courage to call your big brother and he met you with love, support and encouragement. And, you know, we don't always have that in our lives. You know, we don't always have people who are going to be so understanding or so encouraging, but that initial interaction with another, when you're bearing your soul 
and, and, and the shame and the guilt that goes along with gambling addiction or addictions of all kind, when they're met with compassion, that changes the trajectory oftentimes of someone's early recovery. And, and for those who don't have that support, there are helplines around the country dedicated to helping people, whether they have family support or not, but just providing support. In New Jersey specifically, you call 800-GAMBLER, we're going to meet you with compassion and provide you with resources. And some of those resources, some counties around the state of New Jersey have county resource centers. They have, we have peer support specialists that were recently hired at the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey that can be a resource to provide people hope. When someone needs assistance with managing their finances, they don't always have a mother or a father or a brother or a sibling. So we often encourage people to talk to that next line of defense. Maybe there's someone from the faith-based community. Maybe there's someone in an organization that you're affiliated with, someone that you feel that you can trust. We all have a network. You know, it might be small, it might be large, but it's turning to those people in a time of need and saying, listen, this is almost a life or death situation because it really is. We hear this, Craig, all the time. It's life and death. And finding those people that can provide that resource uh, and that and that hedge of protection is so vital. You know, Tara, one of the things we try to say on this show uh, is that for people that are just getting into it, you know, day one, they recognize they have a problem or your know, family member's got a problem. Would you mind telling people how great things are five years later for you, uh, having not made a wager, now life has improved and that there is a light at the end of that tunnel for people that are just starting the process? Yeah, yeah, there's so much light at the end of that tunnel. I mean, I've transformed my life by getting to know myself. Um, I've started a business. I failed at a business. I started another business, and um, I've launched a podcast, and I do a little bit of coaching on the side, and um, I'm living a life that I never even imagined was possible. You know, I thought I would be going to the same job and working in the the same environment and doing kind of the rinse repeat. And that wasn't for me. That life was not for me. That's part of, you know, what I, I, what created a little shame, you know, in the sense in the Brene Brown definition of shame, uh, feeling like I didn't belong. Um, So I, I would say that my biggest lessons are one, the support was there the whole time. I wish I would have extended my hand for help so much sooner. Um, Number two, that getting to know yourself and what drives you and what you're passionate about and what you're curious about and what you care about and pursuing that avenue with as much effort and energy as you pursue engaging in your addiction is, um, is going to transform your life. And that's, uh, that's probably the best way for me to summarize it. I just, I have so much peace and so much contentment and I feel so abundant and grateful for the life that I have today. Would I be right in saying it made you a better mom too? So my son has actually uh, just graduated from college. It made me a mother who could pay tuition. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And uh, I would would definitely say that there's, you know, there's some breaking of a cycle happening here where his emotional awareness and self-reflection and accountability, I'm modeling that every day. So he feels safe talking to me about the things that are maybe rattling around in his head. Um, And had I not pursued recovery 
I would not have been a parent who was able to model that for him. So absolutely, it's made me a better mother. Do you miss gambling at all? Is there ever a moment where you're like, yeah, I wouldn't mind playing some cards with the girls or the guys, that kind of thing? Yeah, probably the cards more than anything. I mean, in the end, I was playing everything you could think of because, of course, it was how I was betting that was wrong, not the fact that I was betting. <laughs> of course. So, um, so yeah. I mean, I, I kind of missed it. I had I had some fun, but I don't miss what I know it will lead to. And um, you know, abstaining has given me so much more than gambling ever did. Um, and recovery, of course. Um, so I, I, do I miss it from time to time? Sure, I do. Got um, it. But but I don't I don't have urges. And tell me about the podcast. Um, it's called Ambitious Addicts. Uh, I it's a it's a podcast kind of threefold intention. Uh, one is uh, to talk about recovery, addiction recovery broadly, not just gambling. Two. Uh, to share stories of people in recovery, some lived experiences of those who have overcome addiction and are now living lives they didn't think of living. And three, kind of embracing your inner ambition and kind of tapping into what is it do I want and how do I go get it um, and, and what do I want in a healthy way versus in an automatically programmed thinking kind of a way. Great. Well, good luck with that. I appreciate you sharing your story very, very much. And I, It's like we always say on the show, Dan, you know, the, the, we're all different stages of recovery. Some people, uh, and the people I worry the most about, are the people that reach out to you and I offline who have a, a family member, a kid, a loved one, who literally have yet to come to terms with the fact they've got an addiction, which is why I think hearing Tara say, you know, five years later, life is great is such an important message, right? Yeah, and you know, for the family members that call us, Craig, just hearing Tara's story today, when when that loved one who's struggling with addiction does finally and, and hopefully come to terms and see the light, meet them with kindness, meet them with compassion, and meet them with support. I think that's a big takeaway for me today as, as the loved ones and parents and family members listening to this. Be prepared. Be prepared with the resources, but also be prepared with compassion and kindness. Don't, don't be accusatory or, you know, what were you thinking? You know, because that can really damage that early stage recovery. And and real quick, you know, uh, Tara, thank you so much. You mentioned one of my favorite speakers, Brene Brown, and I think you've exhibited it during this this uh, half hour just vulnerability because Brene talks a lot about the power of vulnerability and how that's a springboard to to compassion and loving yourself. And I, I really can see that coming through. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for all that you're doing. Um, I I can't thank you enough. You've heard the show. I'm curious if you guys are implementing Craig's idea uh, on the hotline um, about advertising the hotline, not just to those who are active in addiction, but to the loved ones Um, and and targeting them as the people who should be making phone calls. Because I heard the episode where that was uh, shared as an idea. And I was like, yeah, you know, what would have happened if, if someone around me asked some questions from a place of compassion maybe earlier on when I was ducking out of family stuff and not available for phone calls and suddenly at the store for three hours. (laughs) Real quick, just before we wrap it up here, I'm glad you heard me, uh, my big epiphany uh, last week. When you look back on it, if you think, do any of your relatives, your brother, your sister, your son, anyone else that was, or friends close to you, once you uh, came clean and said, I got a problem, did any of them say to you, I knew there was something going on? Uh, 
three of them did. Um, two of them were people who had lent me money, uh, which I, I did pay back, thankfully. Um, and, and one was my son. And my son was like, yeah, why else would there be all these cards around the house? Because I it. would take the player card and, like, you know, they'd be kind of all over the place uh, yep. because I would lose them and get a new one. Yeah. Well, I'm with you on so that. I once, had, uh, I once had 500 decks of cards in my house. I ordered them by bulk off of Amazon. There was always a deck of cards in my hands. <laughs> There was a deck of card cards in my car, at work, at home. I used to bring decks of cards to sporting events. Wherever I was, there was a deck of cards. No, I get, I, I get that completely. And now I can't tell you the last time I held a deck of cards. So, crazy stuff. And I'm T- talking about the casino, the player cards that you either put up when you're when you're waiting. Oh, I got you. You're talking about like your VIP it. card or player's card, so you got raided every yeah. time you gambled. I got you. I got you. Yeah, Scattered all over the house. <laughs> yeah, sadly, I was betting so much money I didn't need a card. But I, I, <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. Terry, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. It's going to help a lot of people, and I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Dan, as always, 800-GAMBLER. And uh, just to tell people what they can expect if they make that phone call. Yeah, when people call the 800 Gambler Helpline, it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the call is totally anonymous. It's confidential, and you'll be greeted by someone who's going to just gather some basic information just so they can point the individual to the proper resources and information available to them, whether in New Jersey, New York, or anywhere around the country. Good job, as always, Dan. Appreciate the time. Uh, This was Hello, My Name is Craig. Chris Moore is next. Evan and I back Monday at 2 o'clock on The Fan. Have a great weekend.